Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos and I'll be your host today. Today's episode is on a topic that uh, many people know me for and for a brand that uh, a lot of people love to hate, including myself, and that is Panerai wristwatches. So today we'll start with the customary wrist check. And uh, like most days, today I'm wearing a Panerai. On the wrist is an old friend. Turns out to be the first watch wristwatch or Swiss wristwatch that I've ever purchased. And that's a Panerai Pam 380, the Pam 380. It's a 45 millimeter stainless steel wire lug radio mirror. Uh, it has a painted dial and the Panerai logo just above the number six on the dial. Um, it's a watch that I recommend uh, as a first Panerai for a lot of a lot of folks, guys who like Panerai, like the history, but maybe can't wear a uh, uh, Luminor just based on the size, the thickness, and the crown guard. So radio mirrors are, or wire lug radio mirrors are a great option. And uh, as, you're, as you'll find out today, um, from a historical standpoint, it's really the Panerai to buy the wire lug radio mirror. So again, 45 millimeters across, but no lugs essentially it has these very thin wire lugs that screw into the case, hold the, uh, the strap on. So, um, on the wrist, it really wears more like a 42, even though it is a 45 millimeter. So it wears much lot smaller than, a, than the traditional 44 millimeter luminar with the crown guard. So if you're looking for this watch online, it's a PAM 380. It's got a 70-hour ETA, uh, manual wind movement, sub-seconds, uh, not a complicated piece. Shouldn't be too expensive, four or $5,000 at this point is what it should cost you. And uh, it's a great watch for everyday wear. I've put a rubber strap on this watch more than in the ocean, um, though it's probably not advisable. If you want to if you want a Panerai, you can wear it in the ocean. It's going to be a Luminor. So, so let's get started. Um, today's podcast is going to be a solo podcast. Um, we're going to talk about Panerai. Shouldn't be more than about 30 minutes or so. So if you have the time, try to stick around to the end. So I'll go ahead and start with uh, a brief history of the brand. Um, I've actually done a YouTube video that has a more in-depth history. And uh, though nobody has uh, a better view of or a better, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, nobody dives deeper than um, Jose Perez uh, of Periscope. He's a uh, he's essentially a historian. The guy is um, amazing. He he's a, a vintage watch enthusiast and loves Panerai and loves to find the real history of Panerai. So if you're looking for a uh, if you're a history buff and you love watches and you want to know about uh, vintage Rolex and vintage Panerais, Periscope.com, P-E-R-E-Z-C-O-P-E.com is is the place to look. Um, I mean, the the articles that this guy puts together are, are tremendous, and I follow him on Instagram also. He loves to call out Panerai as a brand for some of their questionable marketing tactics, I guess, you know, but, you know, 
I don't want to call them outright lies, but sometimes it seems like Panerai is uh, publishing um, uh, facts about their history that may not quite be facts. So uh, per, uh, Periscope is a, is a great place to look and a, a place where I get a lot of my information as well. Um, so go ahead and check that out. But a brief history. So essentially the brand was started in 1860 by Giovanni Panerai. Um, and uh, during World War II, um, I believe it was Guido Panerai, who was, I think, his grandson, um, who was friends or acquaintances with Hans Wildorf, the founder of Rolex. Um, they needed to build some wristwatches, uh, um, Panerai did, for the military, for the Italian military during World War II. And uh, so they were able to contract um, some functional dive watches from directly with Rolex. They were, these things were manufactured by Rolex. Everything except the dials essentially were made by Rolex. And, and if you look into it, the, they're essentially the first and only brand to ever partner with Rolex as an outside brand to make any type of watches. So that's one of the reasons why Panerai is special in my opinion. And um, one of the reasons to love them really is, and it's funny because guys, guys who like Rolex tend to like Panerai and vice versa. So there is history there. Um, so they uh, started manufacturing wrist, wristwatches. And, and if you look at Panerai, most people think about the traditional Luminor case. So it's going to be those big, thick lugs and the big crown guard is going to, is going to be the iconic look for Panerai. But in reality, the very first Panerai wristwatches were actually these wire lug radiometers. And the reason being is um, they were making dive instruments, um, underwater wearable uh, compasses and depth gauges and whatnot, flashlights and, and, and the such. And they needed a, um, they needed to uh, make a wristwatch for these, they called them frogmen, but basically the, uh, the Italian Navy divers. Um, so they needed a, a large watch, which at that point there was no large wristwatches make, being manufactured. So they went to, um, they went to Rolex and, and asked them if they could modify some of their, um, their pocket watches, which were much larger than wristwatches at the time, um, which they did. And, uh, but they kept essentially the same design. So they soldered on these wire lugs onto the case. They sewed on, uh, wax treated leather straps, and then sewed on these large buckles. So they were easy to take on and off. If you're wearing like diving gloves and whatnot, these, a lot of these were be, being uh, worn over uh, a um, diving suit. And, um, and again, they were, these dials were created by Panerai though. And they were, uh, they were painted with radium based paint, which now we know is very toxic at the time. It was revolutionary. Um, and they didn't realize how toxic it was. And that's another thing you can look up. If you go on Google and search radium girls, you, there's a lot of content there. It's a very sad story about all these, um, young women who were working in these factories and <clears throat> would use the, uh, the radium paint, paint their, their fingernails, toenails, and even teeth, um, and then go out and party and whatnot. And with, with these with glowing fingers and teeth, and it turns out they were they all essentially died of terribly of cancer. It's really sad. Something else you can look into again, history is something that, um, that Panerai brings when you're, when you're thinking about the brand. Um, so Panerai would create these very, these glowing dials and these larger wristwatches. And, uh, and there you go. You had the first Panerai wristwatches were these 
modified um, Rolex pocket watches that were uh, made to be worn um, deep underwater, right? So, <clears throat> so that's a brief history. Uh, you fast forward um, to essentially like the 1970s. Now they're really just making wristwatches um, and uh, you know, very small manufacturer, not very expensive watches, selling them directly out of their workshop in, in Florence. Again, fast forward to the 1990s. Now they're uh, a full-on luxury wristwatch brand, um, though they're not doing so well in terms of sales. Um, they did get some backing from uh, uh, some movie stars. Uh, um, Sylvester Stallone wore uh, one of the uh, Panerais in his movie called Daylight. And there's some controversy in, in Periscope goes over that, whether or not the story was that he had like just walked into the store in Florence and saw the watches and loved them, decided to put it on his wrist and buy them for the whole crew. But then there are some other stories about how this was essentially product placement and they were trying to um, increase brand awareness and it was actually a sponsorship. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, and, and you can see, look on periscope.com. There's a whole article about that. Um, but so then now these watches are, are becoming, um, known as, you know, in, in the, uh, the action movie kind of, uh, realm and world. And it makes sense because they are, they are functional dive watches, right? These are watches that were made essentially by industrial designers for the use underwater, you know, diving watches, right? Um, <clears throat> so then you fast forward again to late 90s and the brand's not doing so well and it's purchased by a company called the Vendome Group. So this is where you'll hear the term of pre-Vendome Panerais. Um, it's, it's, these are Panerais manufactured and sold before the Vendome Group, which is now named uh, the Richemont Group, um, which is a, the, one of the largest watch conglomerates and they own a lot of different brands. <clears throat> so uh, the Vendome Group purchased the Paner Panerai and then you have, now they, they changed the manufacturer a bit and this is where you'll hear, you know, uh, pre-A or A-series Panerais or pre-Vendome Panerais and, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit later. So in the, in the late 90s, um, the Vendome Group purchased the brand and then made them kind of move manufacturing to Switzerland, which also caused a little bit of a, a stir in, in the watchmaking community in Italy. So a lot of the watchmakers actually stayed and then made like spinoff brands. So you have Anonimo and Anebi and a few other brands that, that are uh, very similar to Panerai in terms of their look and feel. Um, none of them really took off too hard. So, so if you're looking for one of these um uh, like original uh, Italian dive watches, you can go and look at like an like an original um, Anonimo or a Nebi, and, and you can get your hands on these watches, and they're not very expensive, well less than even like the cheapest Panerai right now. So you know, say if a, if the cheapest Panerai is like four thousand dollars, you can find an Anonimo for like a fifteen hundred, a thousand dollars. And like I have an Anonimo high dive from. I have to look at the papers again. I think it was late nineties as well, though. I think it was right around the time when, when the brand started. So cool watches, not worth much, but um, there is history there and, and they do have like the look and feel of Panerai, you know, 44 millimeter dive watches essentially. So, uh, so now Panerai expanded their lines. And uh, by this point, um, 
based on the needs of the Italian Navy, they have created a few different models, right? So they started off with these wire lug radiometers. And, uh, you know, over time, they had to change the designs because they say like the crowns would get bumped when they're working under under the water and they knock the crown off the watch. And now there's obviously an issue. So then they they add this crown guard and then the lugs also. So they bang, they bang the top side of the watch. The lug snaps off, the watch falls off your wrist. Okay, what do we need to do? We need to make thicker lugs that are soldered on. So now you're creating different models. So um, you fast forward to today and you have a list of different model lines that are all essentially, besides a few, um, true to life industrial designs that were made by Panerai for the Italian Navy. So you have the radiomere, the wire lug radiomere. You also have the 1940s radiomere. You'll see uh, models called the 1940s radiomere. Essentially, it looks like a luminor with no crown guard. So uh, thicker lugs and a um, instead of the onion crown, uh, more of uh, like a rounded crown that sticks snugger to the more snug to the uh, to the case, a little bit thicker watch as well. Um, and then you also have the luminors, right? So you'll have these large crown guards that have like a lock, a locking crown guard that uh, that, you know, a, that will let you know that, yes, this thing is water resistant and this extra you know, mechanism on the side of this crown guard. So it's going to protect the crown and it's also going to lock the crown in place. Um, so you have the traditional luminors. Again, you're going to have these, lar the, the larger lugs that you have on the 1940s, uh, radiomere, and along with the crown guard, a little bit of a thicker um, watch. You also have the 1950s uh, luminor, which is going to be more of a cushion case luminor. So it has the large lugs and it has the the crown guard, but it's more of a cushion case. And you can see the difference if you sit them side by side. <clears throat> you also have the submersibles, which are um, going to be luminors that have large turning bezels, similar to like a Rolex turning bezel um, and uh, like a diving bezel. And there's a large line of, of submersibles. They also have 1950 submersibles. So again, just more of a cushion case. So if you hear 1950, it's more of a cushion case luminor or cushion case um, uh, submersible. Um, and then you also have uh, the Dewey's um, and there's also the um, Marina Militaires that are completely different watches. We're not even going to discuss those today because those aren't like uh, specific, like it, it's a very small model line. There's only a few models and, and uh, re-editions, but, uh, but the main lines are going to be Radiomir, Luminor, which are actually, or initially, those were the names of the paint that was used on the, um, on the dials of the watch. Uh, Radiomere was like a patented type of paint that they used, made from radium. And Luminar was also made from radium, same scenario. But then now they've become uh, known as the specific models or cases. So when you think of Radiomere, there's no crown guard. When you think of Luminor, there's always going to be a crown guard. And that's one way to tell the difference between them or get comfortable. And uh, Radiomere, you have 1940s and you have the traditional wire lugs. For the Luminor, you have the traditional Luminors, um, which is not going to be a cushion case. It's more like a squarish case. Then you have the 1950s, you have submersibles and 1950s submersibles and the Dewey's, which is a, a newer model, which is a bit controversial as well. And we can kind of go into those a little bit. Um, so, you know, they, they all, for the most part, are going to be coming from an industrial design um, 
standpoint, you know, these are these were functional dive watches for the most part, besides the Douay, which is not really a dive watch at all. Um, and uh, you know, there are notable models that I would recommend within each model line. Um, so if you're looking for just a like a basic entry level radio mirror, the 380 is a great model. I believe there's the the current line, and they have changed. So uh, about four or five years ago, a lot of these brands started going in in house with their movements because ETA move ETA movements weren't going to be available. And, and most, if not all, Panerai's were manufactured, you know, Vendome or Richemont Panerai's before say 2016, 17, essentially all of those are going to be uh, ETA movements. There are a few models that had like quote unquote in-house movements, um, P9000 or sorry. Yeah. P, uh, the P2000, P2000, uh, the, uh, sorry, P2000, the P2002, I believe too. Um, uh, these are a manual wind, eight day movements, 10 day movements, things like that. But for the base models and for just like the regular automatics and the ma regular manual winds, these are all mostly going to be um, uh, ETA movements, three day, 70, pa 70 hour powers or something around there, um, automatics and manual winds. So the 380, like I have, is a great starter watch. Again, it's going to be low cost um, relative to a lot of, a lot of other brands you're going to be able to pick these up for probably sub 5,000, somewhere around there. Um, there are many 45 millimeter uh, wire lug radio mirrors and stainless steel, and there's going to be different dials that are really going to be the difference here, right? So you're going to hear something as a painted dial or a sausage dial, which is in a sense, it's really going to be a painted indices and painted numerals on the dial. Um, the loom's going to be painted. There's also something called sandwich. So if you hear sandwich, the idea of the sandwich dial is that it's it's going to give you a much brighter um, loom. And the reason why is because what they do is now there's layers of this dial. So what they're they're going to take a, a disc of loom, and then they're going to take a another disc, lay it on top, and they're going to cut out the numerals or the indices out of the top disc and then layer it on top. So you have much more loom and you can see the loom from different angles as well. So the idea is that it adds a little dimension and it supposedly is a brighter loomed watch or there's more loom essentially because you have a disc of loom below. Um, I think it's, it's, um, it's going to be a personal preference. I don't really care. I have both styles of Panerai's. I have painted dials. I have sandwich dials. It's really just going to be your preference. And there are a few models, I believe the 005, where they've they've released that model in both a painted and a sandwich. So some people prefer the sandwich because I believe the first two years of that model were sandwich dial. Again, there's a lot of minutia when it, when it gets to Panerai because they all kind of look the same until you dive into it. And then they all look you know very different. And to a person like me who... We'll stare at Panerai's all day long, you know, there's going to be little differences and they, and they have added a lot of different complications. Um, and they've even, they just released a, an in-house perpetual calendar, which, um, as a side note, Panerai had a, a partnership with Ferrari in the, I believe it was like early two thousands. Um, they made specific watches with specific cases 
that looked similar to 1940s radio mirrors. So essentially a luminar with no crown guard and longer lugs. And they had a lot of different weird complications, including a perpetual calendar. That was the only perpetual calendar until recently. And they just released a new perpetual calendar, which is, I believe, if I remember correctly, it's like a digital date. So you can kind of, it has date windows across. And it's nice. I, I like the idea of having that. But besides that, Panerai, for the most part, is going to have time and date, time only, sub-seconds. GMTs are also a um, uh, plentiful within the line. So you have something called, a, a if you're looking at a, a luminor, an automatic luminor with a GMT, the most traditional piece would be that PAM 88. So a lot of people love that that model. That's a very iconic model, very tradable model. And, they, and um, one to target as well if you're looking for something like that. Um, but besides that, essentially, you know, people aren't looking for high complication with Panerai. And that's one of the issues with, with the company now is that they're kind of getting away from their core of industrial design, stainless steel, um, dive watches. They're using a lot of different, um, uh, materials, which, you know, depends on how you feel about them. Um, also, you know, high complications and they're doing, you know, equation of time, which I, I guess the idea is that, you know, they, they talk about Galileo, I believe. And, uh, you know, they're, you know, they're looking at, uh, at Italian astronomers and I guess that's how they're tying it back to their brand. But realistically, like, and I do know people who do like those models, um, but it's not a traditional Panerai collector for the most part, that's going to be, you know, chasing a, uh, uh, an equation of time. Not a lot of people know how to read an equation of time. And uh, it's not not like a highly sought after model, though it is very difficult to make. And there's a lot of math and engineering involved. Um, again, do I need a diving equation of time? Probably not. Um, same thing, you know, Panerai makes like a skeleton, skeleton turbion. Luminor, mm, do I need that watch? Certainly not. I mean, again, do I need any of these watches? No, but if we're talking about where the brand started and where it came from. I don't know if it makes sense for the brand to be making these types of watches. And it's kind of reflected in the resale value. You can see, you know, uh, the sub $8,000 stainless steel models, especially ones that have like GMTs and power reserve indicators. Those watches tend to hold value fairly well. Whereas the much more high end and kind of esoteric models of so skeleton turbions and, and, um, platinum watches now and uh you know rose gold this or radio mirrors and whatnot they tend to trade well below their original retail price so you know something to look at there is value if you're buying those watches pre-owned but again it's not and if you listen to my value retention um episode i think that was just last week you'll know that even a watch like that even if you buy it say for example you, you find a a rose gold radio mirror that's complicated uh, and you buy it for whatever, 40% uh, off of the original retail value, uh, price. If you go to sell that watch, you might still take a haircut because there's not a huge market for that model. So you, you're getting into the watch cheap and there is probably value for dollars there, but they're not highly tradable at that point. But um, sub $8,000 stainless steel models and a few say sub $15,000 models uh, made of ceramic and, and what they call Carbotech, which is forged carbon, but it's a little bit harder, which I actually, I don't mind it as much as I used to. I used to kind of be a hater of Carbotech and, and now I've come around. Uh, but 
those models tend to trade decent. So you can do okay with those watches. You're not going to take a massive haircut. So you can buy it, wear it for a few years and then trade it. And, you know, it might cost you a little bit, but you're not going to lose, you know, 50 or 60% of what you put into that watch. Um, but there are models that you can certainly do that with. So you got to be careful. They are hit or miss. Um, so the Douay models is one I wanted to talk about as well. So Panerai a few years back decided and realized and understood that, you know, large watches are not, are not so much in style, right? You can see it with brands, even say like Audemars Piguet, you know, they're, they're Royal Oaks, they're thinner watches, smaller watches, 41 millimeters sell at this point, double and triple their retail, but the offshores, so the thicker dive watches that are 42 millimeters plus and kind of wear even larger, um, those ones don't hold as much value. So even from brands that are, you know, in super high demand are still, uh, there are models that are, that are, don't trade as well. And you can look at it like a Rolex deep sea as well. A Rolex deep sea, uh, sea dweller, 44 millimeter does not trade nearly as well as a 40 millimeter, um, uh, Daytona. And, and one of the reasons is the size, the size matters, right? So they realized that. And, and one of the things they did was instead of scaling the watches down, which they did, they'd have released smaller models of 38 millimeter watches, but they thinned their watches out. So all the models, essentially all the new models, the four digit references, um, are all a bit thinner than their predecessors. They thinned out the case backs, which I appreciate makes these watches much more wearable. Um, but they also created a line called the Douay. So the Douay is an interesting line. It's a Panerai essentially in name only, right? Um, it, it looks like a Panerai, but it's a dress watch. It really doesn't have water resistance. I believe it's like 10 ATM. Um, you know, you really don't want to take it swimming. You can probably get it splashed on, but that's about it. It's going to have, it's going to be as if they took, <laughs> they took a knife and just sliced off the top layer of a Luminor. And then that's your watch, right? So it's a very thin Luminor, still has a crown guard, still has the lugs. It's extremely thin, fits under a uh, cuff. So it's a dress watch for somebody who doesn't want a traditional, you know, dress watch. They want a dress watch that looks like a sport watch. So for that reason, it's okay. They, they do, there are quite a few Douay models that sell well because uh, they're much more wearable than um, like a 44 millimeter Luminor or even a 47, which Panerai has shied away from for most of their models, though they make 47 millimeter submersibles still, which whatever, it still doesn't make sense to me. Like those watches are still too big. You know, I have a seven, a seven inch wrist. I can handle a 44 millimeter manual wind because it's a thin model, uh, a, a little bit of a thinner watch. They don't have to have make room for that, for the, the winding rotor in the case back, but still like a 47 millimeter Panerai, like you gotta be a very large individual to wear that watch. So they have scaled them down. They do make 42 millimeters, um, a lot of 42 millimeter submersibles now, which are actually really great. It's a little bit of a weird watch on the wrist for the first time, especially if you're used to wearing 44s, um, it just doesn't, it, the proportions are just like a little bit weird, but once you wear the watch, it feels great on the wrist and you can get used to it. I would definitely recommend looking at a 42 millimeter submersible because it really wears, so a 44 millimeter submersible wears a little bit bigger, probably like a 45 or 46. The 42 wears like a 44. Um, and it wears more comfortable than a 44 uh, Rolex, like this, the, the Deep Sea Sea Dweller or the um, Yachtmaster 2, in my opinion, because the strap, 
the way that the strap works, you know, it can basically just go straight down from the case. <clears throat> you can strap it on tight and it doesn't move. So if you're looking at a deep sea or yacht master, I would certainly recommend looking at a Panerai instead as an alternative. And I think it works really well. And a lot of times you're gonna have to spend less money. You can probably spend half what you spend on either of those watches for, you know, a, a very comfortable and iconic um, dive watch. So, uh, Again, notable models that I'd recommend. I said the 380 for the Radiomir, the 1940s Radiomir. I like the 512 is a nice model. PAM 512 is one I'd look at, or the five, even 514, I believe. Um, those are both ones of 42 and ones of 44. Um, uh, 1940s Radiomir, both great watches. Um, traditional Luminors 000 is a great way to start. That's they call it the base model. It's just, it's just time only. There's not even a sub seconds on that. There's a 005, which is a great model as well. Um, the current models have different reference numbers. They have four digit reference numbers. So there's like a 1000 instead of a 000, the same watch essentially. Um, you know, the 1088 instead of the PAM 88. These are all great traditional luminors um, that you should be able to find for well less than $10,000 for sure. Probably in most cases, less than $8,000 depending on the model. Um, 1950s. So the one I recommend to everyone is the one that I own. It's the, uh, the Panerai 233. I think it's the best Panerai that they make and embodies a, everything that Panerai has to add for, uh, or offer from a tradition standpoint, right? It's like a, it's a truly traditional, um, case and it's very wearable, even though it's a 44 millimeter, it fits on my wrist perfectly rubber strap, leather strap. It doesn't matter. Great watch. They have two different dials. They have one called the dot dial that they made for the first two years. Then they switch it to the AM PM indicator. So that's just for the 24 hour. Um, it's a 24 hour indicator. So essentially the, the watch itself has um, time date, a GMT hand and a linear power reserve. It's an eight day power reserve. Um, and it's, it's, I love the watch. I recommend it to everybody. It's got the, um, Sandwich dial as well, so a lot of depth on the dial. It's a great, if you're going to have one and only Panerai, I'd say that's the one to go for. You can find them for less than $10,000 right now. Maybe a dot dial is a little bit more, not much. Um, tremendous watch, the best 1950s Panerai that they've ever made. And, and there's a case to argue that it's the best Panerai um, in general. So that's a great watch. Um, another notable 1950s would be a 317, which is a... Uh, a 10 day, um, yeah, I believe 10 day automatic version of the same watch in ceramic. Uh, so ceramic is really interesting. It's a very hard material. You can't scratch it. The only downside of ceramic is if you drop the watch or if you bang it into a doorknob or something along those lines, you'll crack the case. And for example, I have a customer of mine who just purchased a 317. He dropped the watch, smashed the lug and Panerai wants $6,500 to replace the case which was more than half of what he paid for the watch originally. So now this watch has become extremely expensive for him. So you want to be careful with the ceramic Panerai's when it comes to that. Oh, another, I'll go back, take a step back because I, I skipped over it. Um, wire lug radiomere in ceramic also. It's another watch I'm, very, I'm a fan of. It's called the 292. There's the pig dial, which has an embossed um, uh, torpedo on the dial which is something they, they called the pig. It was a manned torpedo used during World War II. Interesting story. Cool watch. 
that is there's a so the 292 they made it a few different years one of them which i believe is might be the k cereal and i'll explain what that means has the pig those go for a little bit more they used to go for like double now they go for maybe 500 to a thousand maybe 1500 more depending on if it's full set whatnot uh, but the panerai 292 is is one that i would recommend as well it's a full ceramic radiomere ceramic lugs everything it's really cool watch i would definitely recommend that watch um submersibles so submersibles you're gonna you're you're gonna probably want to stick with the pam 24 it's an iconic stainless steel submersible it's very thick on the wrist, it can be a little top heavy. So then if, if you like that model, but it's a little too thick and a little heavy on the wrist, look for the PAM 25. So there's the 24 in stainless steel. 25 is in titanium. My good friend Jason Main owns this watch. Um, so the only difference between the two watches is one is in titanium, which I love titanium watches. I love titanium Panerai's. Um, and then the dial is has like a checkerboard um, embossed uh design on it as well. So it, it looks, it, it, there's a little bit of a, a design difference there too, but otherwise, you know, very similar watches, great watches. Um, 25, I believe it's discontinued. 24 is still, I think there's a 1024. You can buy new from Panerai these days, but they've been making this watch since almost the beginning for what, 20, 20 some odd years. So you can find that watch. Um, and the, f the first few models had like a mirror bezel on there. I think it's a C serial more of a mirrored bezel now instead of the brush bezel that you see now so that's like a special edition you can kind of look for um otherwise there are dime a dozen you can find pam 24s almost anywhere again well under ten thousand dollars probably full set box and papers great watch if you're looking for like a big hunk of steel and a functional dive watch great watch and it has the um uh the diving bezel on there as well like similar to a submariner but very different because it's full steel and no ceramic. Alrighty, um, another submersible I would recommend would be the 389 or the 1389. Um, and those are, it's a 47 millimeter. So again, it's too big for my wrist, but if you want a 47 millimeter submersible, that has a ceramic insert in the bezel. And um, it's, it is titanium as well, so it wears a little bit lighter on the wrist. One thing I like about Panerai's or, or the Panerai's I go for are ones that look big, but don't feel big. A watch feels big on your wrist. It's I, in my opinion, it sucks. Like it's annoying. So what's great about Panerai's is they look big, but you don't want it to feel big. And like, you don't want it shifting on your wrist and whatnot. So titanium is a great way to, to go. If you want a watch that looks really big, but doesn't, doesn't feel overbearing on the wrist. Um, and then the Douay, I think it's a 674 is the one that I would recommend. All right, let me just check here. Yeah, it's a 674. Yep, so this is just the traditional 45 millimeter black dial. It has an accrue, um, uh, an accrue like faux patina for the, the numerals, um, which a lot of people like. Uh, I don't mind it. There are like the, the PAM 356 which is a Daylight Chrono, has that as well. That's like the most notable one that I can think of or the first one I saw with that like kind of faux patina, um, which Panerai's, by the way, like pre-Vendome Panerai's, Panerai's with, uh, with um, before they used Luminova, they they did like the tritium is what they used uh, before that and, and they do fade. So like I have a Panerai 002 from 1998. That's an A serial and 
it does have faded indices mainly because the watch spent like years under the ocean. I have a whole story about that, which if you listen to any of my other podcasts, I've talked about it, so I'm not going to go over it again, but essentially the watch was, was found by somebody diving and then I bought it from that guy. So it has uh, quite a bit of water damage, but um, faded indices are, are, it is also a result of, of time. So they do faux patina. Um, 674 is probably the one I would recommend when it comes to the duets, though. Again, I personally don't love the duets. I know a lot of people do, which Panerai mostly in name only. All right. Um, I've gone over my suggestions. Oh, yeah. So one thing about Panerai that's a little bit different than for most brands is the serial numbers are – so they have three different numbers on the case back. They have the OP, they have the BB, and then they have the millisimation. So the OP number is going to be the uh, the case number, right? That's going to be a, a designation for the type of case that, that you're looking at. The BB is a movement number, and that's, I guess that would essentially be a serial number because it's unique to the to the model. But the most useful number and the number that if you're talking to someone like me and I ask you for the serial number on the Panerai, you're looking at the millisimation. So what Panerai started doing from almost the beginning is that Every year they would they would plan how many of certain watches they're going to make, right? So for example, my Pam 380 is an O serial, which I believe is 2012 O. It's 2012, and it started in 1998. They started with A, and it goes sequential. Um, and uh, so mine's an O serial again. I think it's 2012, and it's number 721 of 1500. So that year they made. 1500 of this model and my num- mine is number 721. So in a sense, every watch is a limited edition, but don't get caught up in that because especially if, if you don't know much about Panerai and somebody tells you, oh, this is a, they only made 1500 of these. Yeah. They only made 1500 that year. Okay. So um, there are many, many of these that exist. Don't get caught up too much in that. But if you're looking, if you want to know the age of the watch, say it doesn't have papers, you can find the letter in front of the millisimation. And you can look it up on PanerySource.com. We'll tell you it has a long list of production years and which uh, letter is associated. And you can find out what year the, that the watch was manufactured. The other thing is just because they planned on making 1500 this year, does not mean that they did that. They may have planned on making 1500, but they only made 800 of these. So there are many cases of that too. So usually that means that's as, there are no more than 1,500 that exist. Panerai didn't always keep great. Um, <clears throat> they didn't cre- keep great uh, uh, records. So, And there's even models that exist that don't show up in their history on their website. And there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on with the brand. That, it, it's a little bit quirky in that way. and it, But it does create you know, a little bit of allure, I guess. Like I like the idea of they have things called out of range. So... Um, I believe it's a 232, which was a ratty mirror as well. And they have the OOR models that are out of range. So say they, they decided to make the 232, they decided to make 2,500 for only one year. And then five years later, they find that they made like, say they made an extra 500 cases. I can't remember the exact numbers on these, but for say for this, this one, they decided to make another, <clears throat> another say 500 and they called them OOR out of range. Um, so they're just another run of them in a different year and at a smaller run. So those ones became collectible. There's guys who used to chase those. I haven't seen anybody ask me for one, or I haven't even seen an out of range 
model in quite some time. But, you know, if you want to collect watches, Panerai does offer you some really cool options. You can, you know, collect, you know, historical models. They have cool box sets or they used to. Now they kind of scaled them much, scaled them back for the most part. But original boxes were made out of pear wood and they had special editions, had gold hands and scrolls and things like that, that that were really cool that people loved. And, but the main thing about Panerai is that they make it really easy to change the straps, which now a lot of brands have kind of moved towards that. But, you know, you use a tool and there's a million different companies that make bespoke and, you know, just standard aftermarket straps. So you can have, for example, I have a bucket full of Panerai straps, probably have 50 Panerai straps for the four Panerais that I have in my collection. And you can change every day of the week. You can change it every month, but you change the strap, it changes the watches totally. So that's my, that is one of the great selling points um, for Panerai. All right. I think I've covered everything. Um, let me see here. Went over the history. We talked about the model lines, notable models, made some suggestions, talked about how to read the case back. Um, and uh, yeah, talked about Carbotech and the ceramic model. So the first full ceramic Panerai, I believe, was a, well, so the first full ceramic Panerai on a bracelet, which I think it's still the only one that they made on a ceramic bracelet, which is very, um, the way ahead of its time. So I think it was like 2013 or 2014, they released something called the Panerai 441, which at that point, Panerai still had some hype. And I think I sold one of the first ones in the country. Somebody flipped one to us and I sold it for like $22,000 to somebody. Panerai 441, which is, oh, sorry, 438. So the 441 is a ceramic 1950s luminor on a strap and then the 438 is they call it the Tutanero, which is the same watch, but a full ceramic bracelet. I mean, that's a feat of engineering, very hard to make. Also an issue if you bang it, you can crack it. But I mean, how many companies have made full ceramic watches on ceramic bracelets? AP is one that comes to mind. Besides that, there are, I don't, I don't know if I know another, I'm sure there are a few, but it's very difficult to do. Uh, Panerai hasn't done it since that model. They still make the that model. It's I think it's the ten uh, or the the fourteen thirty eight. I believe I can look up the the model. You can look it up on their website. But full ceramic bracelet on a uh, on a ceramic Panerai. Very cool watch. And uh, it's just for for. The end of this podcast. Let's see how much a Pam 438 trading for. So right now, for example, Watchbox, our company has one listed for twelve thousand bucks. So in contrast, if you look at a let's see here, uh ceramic royal oak. We're not comparing the the um the movements, but you know, the feat of making a full ceramic watch is very difficult. Uh, on a on ceramic bracelet. So, for example, the skeletonized version of the full ceramic Royal Oak is a half a million dollar watch about. So for 12000 you can have a full ceramic dive watch. That's truly functional. Just be careful. Don't bang it onto a wall or, dr- or drop it because essentially the watch is worthless at that point. But, you know, it, that is a feat of engineering that, that kind of uh, is overlooked when it comes to Panerai. All right. Well, um, I appreciate you guys listening. Um, we're running up about almost 45 minutes. If you're still listening now, you're a champion. 
and I appreciate you. Um, tell your friends about the podcast. We do it every week. Every Tuesday is released. Um, I'm normally doing this with my buddy Jason Main uh, or uh, someone else in our company, but we're also looking for interesting interviews. If you're a collector that has a really cool um, collection and you want to chat with me about it for an hour, I'd love to uh, to record with you. Um, or if you're in the watch industry and you you know you want to give your opinions or tell us you know kind of what you think about what's happening with today's market or whatnot, feel free to reach out to me. Instagram is the best way to do it at Mr. Thanos, M-R-T-H-A-N-O-S. That's my last name, Thanos. Um, also follow Watchbox on uh, on Instagram, at Watchbox. We also have a tremendous YouTube channel. We really have two YouTube channels. We have YouTube, or sorry, uh, Watchbox Studios, which is going to be most of our personality content, talking about the market. You have Market Wrap with Manjos every Saturday morning, one of the best shows, if not the best show on on the internet, talking about watches. We also have Watchbox Reviews, which is Tim Masso's channel where he's doing hands-on reviews. There is no better place for hands-on reviews of watches. He's done, at this point, thousands of them. He literally grabs a watch from the vault or a stack of watches from the vault, goes to his office, and will record these on his iPhone all in one take. Nobody else does anything like this, and nobody else gives so much information. You have to listen to each one of them two or three times to get all the information. In fact, when I buy a watch... If you guys know me, I'm very impulsive. I'll buy a watch because I like the way it looks and the way it feels on the wrist. I'll go ahead and buy it. Then I'll do all the research afterwards. And the way I'll do research is I'll look for all the Tim Masso reviews. So, for example, I bought my Grand Seiko Snowflake, the SBGA 211. Tim's done like 10 videos on that watch. So I've just spent my time looking, <laughs> watching those videos. And, and I mean, if you want to learn about your watch or you want to learn about a watch you're going to purchase – that's where that's where to do it. I mean, Tim Masso's hands-on reviews. There is nobody who comes close. I don't care. I don't care. Archie Luxury maybe is the is the, is the closest only because he's he's funny.